Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to 87 with Squidge. Hello and welcome to the Squidge Rugby World Cup Retrospective, the rugby podcast that is still doing this but is getting very, very close to not having to look at teams like 1987 Ireland anymore. Yeah, because we're on the quarterfinals. We're on the last quarterfinal. Yeah, which, if you're Irish, means the final. (laughs) yeah yeah we got this is where the curse begins Mm, this is today's game right to jump right into things today's game is australia's demolition of ireland in the quarterfinal of the first world cup and this is of course ireland's greatest ever world cup result yes of course it's their joint greatest ever world cup result and let me tell you that looking at this game Ireland's performance here is one of the worst any team has put out all tournament. Yeah, I mean, so they kind of... You can see why this performance is so bad that they set a curse. Yeah. Like, this this is properly atrocious. I think as we go through World Cups... We should rank their quarterfinal performances. Okay, okay, And see which one's best. Because let me tell you, to spoil it... Their loss to Wales in 2011 played a lot better than this. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Like, they were competitive in that game. Yeah, 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 yeah. They had, like, a few good players, you know. They had some players who played well, for instance, in that game. They did a few positive things rather than just being basically the most dysfunctional rugby team I've seen in my life. I mean, we'll get into this as we go on. But I want to say, firstly, I am Robbie Osquidge, whatever you want to call me. And alongside me is... I am Will Owen. Are you the Will Owen that's playing for England under-18s tonight? No, I am not. Are you the Will Owen that plays for Nottingham in the Championship? No, I am not. I think he's moved clubs. Are you the Will Owen that previously played for Leicester Tigers Academy? That's the same one as the last one we were on about. Exactly. No. No, okay, because you think it would be a comprehensive, conclusive answer. Okay, but fair you say you think he's moved clubs, I suppose you wouldn't know if you were Yeah, him. I guess so. Uh, there is also one who played centre for Doncaster Knights, I think. Mm. Uh, I'm, not him. Oh, I'm not okay. him, no. But if you type, I mean, we covered this before, but if you type Willow in rugby into Google, I'm like the second one that comes up out of those like four. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Stupid. Yeah. Yeah. So people are just big fans of Long Eaton Second. I mean, <laughs> I, I share a name with the founder of the co op bank it's pretty good um yeah i don't think he had much of a rugby career the founder no, of the co-op no um, but he does know a lot about money and he was welsh oh okay that's pretty yeah. good yeah it's almost like owen is a really common welsh name it's all almost almost yes yeah. yeah yeah i think i probably it's just... why nye owen drag and mm. uh, owen the dragon center known as nhs yeah is maybe my favorite rugby player mm-hmm. because he is named after two of my or happens to be you know two of my favorite category of people which is world socialists mm-hmm. so he shares a name with both the founder of the nhs and the founder of the cooperative movement yeah I so mean, there you go good. What a, what yeah a yeah i thought you were going to say the um former wales number eight michael owen 
Yeah, um, solid one, solid one. Yeah. Also clearly named after because that's how surnames work. Yeah, named yeah. after it as I was, as you were as well actually. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations on founding the co-op. Thank you, thank you. It's, I'm so glad that somebody's finally recognised me for that. And you know, I, I deserve all the credit in the world. Mm. I think so, but not all the money in the world. No, because that is being spread amongst many banks. Yes. Um, no, it's in one account, but this isn't anyway. So, um, as we said, the game today is Australia thirty-three, Ireland fifteen, and boy, does that scoreline flatter Ireland. It really does. I mean, I'm gonna. This is gonna be me being very repetitive throughout this podcast, but the fact Ireland have points at all is quite flattering to them. Yeah. I mean, the other thing worth noting, right, is this was in an old scoring system, as Lee pointed out at the end of last week's episode, yeah. right? So if this took place today, we would be looking at, it'd be a far bit, we'd be looking at 47 points for Australia. Like, it is comprehensive. It is yeah. four converted tries and three penalties yeah. for Australia, plus a missed drop goal. Whereas Ireland scored two late consolation tries mm-hmm. and a penalty to put them on the board in a quarterfinal after an hour. It's ridiculous. The points where Australia keep scoring more and more tries and then Ireland are just embarrassingly trundling up field and going like, yeah, we'll take three points here. We're just happy to be here. Shut up. <laughs> also, it really doesn't help fueling the thing of like, because you know how you famously hate Ireland, according I to all comments. I can't sections? stand Ireland. I hate them. So, yeah, you really, really hate Ireland. And I received a tweet last week where I discovered I hate Ireland now. Do you? So it's, that's now, that infection has now spread to me. It's in the Owen name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Ireland, Ireland can't stand them. The yeah, the yeah. Couldn't stand them. It is often a thing that I think people assume that if you hold an opinion, even if it's not a real one that you actually hold, that I also happen <laughs> to hold the exact same opinion, yeah. no matter what, um, yeah, yeah, what yeah. it is. So I had it where I recently made a joke about the fact because Argentina battled Australia on the weekend, and I said, oh yeah, Austra- Argentina have got their one massive 40-point drubbing of the World Cup cycle out the way, so mm. don't worry, Ireland fans. You know, that, that was the joke. Yeah. And then uh, I had somebody kind of like not quite getting it in mm. my responses, and then somebody really angrily saying like, oh, your boy Owen and Squidgy over there both hate Ireland. Everybody knows this. And I, was, I didn't bite, right? Mm. But I was thinking like, okay, because like, You've joked about Ireland in videos before, so they at least have that to yeah, go on. I mean, the other thing... Which isn't... isn't the other interesting thing is, Ireland. right, if you go back to the comments, the early comments in the first kind of five videos, yeah. before I've made a video that explicitly went, hello, I support Wales. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. There were loads of comments saying, why do you hate Wales so much? <laughs> and it's look, one day <laughs> I am going to unveil the fact that I am actually Irish. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, it's Owen spelled with an E G H. Yeah, Yoghan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so. So, yeah. All the people, all the evidence in the world of me reporting on Ireland is our videos on Ireland beating New Zealand, where we talk about how good they are. Mm-hmm. Our videos on Ireland and the Six Nations, where we talk about how good they are. I've done, like, articles on, like, Josh van der Fleer and how good he is before. He's South African, though. Oh, shit. Yeah, you're right. Okay, yeah, yeah. But I also hate South Africa. South African fans also <laughs> regularly bring up how much I hate them, despite the fact that I have overwhelmingly put online praise for the Springboks. Yeah. But then again, sometimes you feel like you have to, just so like they know that you're not trying to actively hate them when you talk about them the same way you do other teams. But anyway, that's... So there was a thing during yeah. the Six Nations where you remember when you did the tweet about Paolo Garbisi and Johnny Wilkinson? Mm, I do, and I do that when quite wide yeah and was seen by basically all of rugby media yeah yeah it got, its, it got its own rugby onslaught article that yeah. did yeah i was called a rugby scribe rugby scribe yeah um where's rugby p money yeah, um, indeed indeed where is rugby p money 
<laughs> we'll see if we can bring it back on someday. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good idea. So, so there was a post on the Reddit thread on that, or a Reddit thread about that, mm-hmm. that said, oh, didn't this accusation against Wilkinson start with the increasingly infuriating and annoying Owen brothers? No way! Yep. That's so good. I didn't know that. And happened. they then brought up a bunch of stuff I'd said that was either incorrect in hindsight or sure. vaguely annoying, which I completely get. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It happens to, to all of and us. And like, the other know? thing is, I think about this quite a lot, right? That the channel, what we do, the channel, the Squid Rugby channel, should be really niche. But yeah. Because there's nothing like it in rugby, because there isn't any competition, it, and it's grown to an audience beyond what it probably should be. Sure. Like, it should be occupying a far smaller percentage of the rugby media than it mm. than it does. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's grown to be massive because there aren't other rugby analysis YouTube channels. Thanks, guys. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's grown to be far bigger than I ever thought. Like, like several hundred times what I thought it could be. Sure. Yeah, we hit 200,000 subscribers yesterday. Yeah, which is cool. Which Pretty is cool. thank you. Yeah, it's yeah. lovely. Yeah, and so I realised, like, I decided after a certain point I need to stop paying attention to numbers really because mm-hmm. otherwise you go Much a bit mad yeah. yeah yeah exactly uh and just boot the ball away randomly yeah in a yeah. completely non-frustrating moment yeah and so yeah so i kind of stopped paying attention to numbers after a certain while because i realized like i realized at a certain point i can't imagine that many people in a room as people sure. that are you know yeah, like yeah watching yeah. this so i yeah. just need to stop there yeah. Um, and there's a point in which I'll like look at the stats on the video and be like, oh, more people have watched that in the last hour mm. than like could pack into the Millennium Stadium. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Like we could w- with the subscribers on the channel, you mm. could almost fill Glastonbury. Wow. Yeah. 10k short. Yeah. Of the capacity. Wow. Okay. I had no idea that. Well, okay. Yeah. But but yeah. So I think that the channel has grown beyond probably what it should be, and I'm not complaining about that. It's no, a very it's, lovely it's and cool. exciting thing, and it's you know, yeah. like it's given me a living, and it's given me you know an awful lot of wonderful things. But sometimes I realise the content goes out to people who probably wouldn't be getting it. Sure. Yeah. And like yeah. if you look at bait. Right, if you look at football, like I was at the YouTube Sports Conference, right? Mm-hmm. And there is a channel about the size of Squid Rugby dedicated just to Arsenal. Yeah. And it's the biggest Arsenal channel out there. Yeah. Right? And I spoke to their owner because their owner is also called Robbie. Oh, nice. Uh, but not Owen. Oh, right, okay. So they're not, really, they're yeah, not, they're not yeah. into World Socialist, but that's fine. Evidently not. Um, but yeah, we, we spoke for a while. He's a really, really lovely guy because mm. they the, the guy from Sky Sports who was hosting it suggested we should swap channels for a day, which I thought that would quite be quite funny. funny. That would be um, really funny. Yeah. But that's the thing, right? In football, you can find your kind of niche because mm. the sport is big enough. Yeah, right? yeah. Right, whereas that doesn't seem to exist in rugby. And there are the odd one, like Free Red Kings, which is brilliant. Yeah, uh, yeah. And exists for Monster fans. But there's yeah. very few other clubs have that. Like, yeah. you've got sort of, you know, Driving Mall and so on for uh, Leicester. Leicester, yeah. You've got, there's a Quinns fans podcast. Mm. And then you've got the odd ones, like the Scottish Rugby Pod kind of covers, and the Thistle as well, cover mm. two clubs. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. So there are odd ones like that. Yeah. But... They're in podcast spaces as well. There's not really the YouTube thing. Yeah, yeah, It's a very different thing to what exists in other sports. Yeah. And other fields as well. Like, if you want to go and subscribe to a channel that only covers Zelda games, you yeah. can find that and sure. there will be a decent audience for yeah, it, say, yeah. rather than having something that covers all, you know. And so the whole thing, I don't know, like, I feel like the Squid Rugby thing should be quite a niche thing for a niche part of the market mm. but the weirdness of the rugby market has meant that it's grown way beyond yeah that. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and like so often that just being on brand you just make a joke on twitter and it again it gets enough likes or enough shares or whatever yeah. enough replies that eventually it's seen by somebody who just doesn't get it yeah um, and that's fine well, you know rugby it's is, just a part of it rugby is the biggest niche sport in the world right yeah, yeah, and yeah. i think it's very much that rather than being the smallest popular sport i think it's yeah. the biggest niche sport agreed and 
it's a really weird standing to be in mm. and it's something you have to think about a lot and the other thing is like because you've got to keep up a level of and i'm kind of breaking the curtain down completely here and i'm sorry it's not rugby related, i suppose but there's a level of like in the videos in particular like squidge character coming through sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. of like a, a different version of myself yeah, yeah and i think about things far more than i think the squidge character does mm. like that kind of character only really thinks about rugby. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, and that's kind of deliberate. I and would like, love uh, to see how you get on an Arsenal YouTube channel. Oh, I mean, they will try and walk it in. <laughs> what was he thinking when walk it on that early? So I hate Graham Linhan. So there we go. Me that's too, a separate yeah. thing. And I think what's happened to him since has been funny. So anyway, yeah. Well, as I was saying, I think there's a. I don't know. I think there's there's a difference there, and I suppose I don't know if this is interesting to be going into any further. Of it feels like probably a different podcast than the one we normally do. Yeah, agreed. like I feel like there are, there are probably enough people listening who will be interested by this conversation, but I don't think it's probably, probably what not up right, for now. right now. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Interestingly, so I could probably name you about four Arsenal players, but I I, I don't watch any football, Mate. right? But only because. Four years ago, Nottingham Forest beat Arsenal 4-2. And I know about this because all of my friends support Nottingham Forest. And even though I've never watched football, Mm. I've kind of by proxy found myself accidentally supporting Nottingham Forest. Mm -hmm. Like, if I had to pick what my football team was, it would probably be Nottingham Forest, right? Because I live in Nottingham, and so do all my friends who support Nottingham Forest. But yes, they beat Arsenal 4-2. And then it's like about... Probably about 30 minutes after the final whistle of that game. In that group chat that I'm in with with my friends, there was an audio message was sent. And one of my friends sent a one minute long diss track to Arsenal. (laughs) And it's really good. Mm. Um, uh, And then they beat Arsenal again last year and he released a sequel. And it was incredible. Lovely. So, yeah, uh, that's that's where all of my knowledge of Arsenal comes from. Do you want to take over this Arsenal channel? Yeah, I might as well keep yeah. it go. I've I've found myself recently. I found it really funny when you don't know anything about football that when people randomly engage you in football conversations, when you're like with a friend of a friend or something, to so just entertain it and see how mm. far you can get before they realise you don't actually like football. Yeah, like yeah. I found myself at a festival recently talking to a stranger who was a Leeds United fan, and I spent half the conversation trying to figure out what league they were in. <laughs> Eventually, I figured out it was the Premier League. I was doing that thing of like, oh yeah, what's that striker you have? Um, can't remember his name, and then he'd say the guy's name. I was like, yeah, yeah, he's. A good- <laughs> Player, isn't he? And just going along with it like that, and seeing how far we can get into the conversation before they clock. Was I it never all football? Was it all about Leeds, or did he ask you who you support and so on? Yeah, yeah. I spoke a bit about Forest. Yeah, um, I know about three or four Forest players. I okay. watched them play for about twenty minutes last season. So okay, okay. Um, you picked up some names. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I know that they've got their right winger Brennan Johnson plays for Wales. Oh, okay. So cool. uh, my friends told me that. I said, "Well, that's that's your favourite Forest player then." Because he's Welsh. Mm. So I know that he's my favourite Forest player. He's right-footed. Um, what else is he? A right-winger. Uh, but then you you have this... Sometimes like, scores goals. Does it apply to when you... So here's another peek behind the curtain, right? Yeah, yeah. But you have the most ridiculous and encyclopedic knowledge of whether people are left or right-footed. I'm very good at I it. I think I could ever come across. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, okay, okay, okay. If I pluck, Should we do a like, quiz? I'll, okay, I'll pluck, like, five random players off the okay, top of Okay, okay, okay. Billy Searle. I think right. Okay. I, I've got no way of verifying this. I'm just yeah, going to go with yeah. it. Uh, I suppose we should go for, like, Peter Omani. Um, he is right-footed. <laughs> okay. How about Tyke Byrne? Left-footed. Yeah, because I remember that one. Yeah, massive one. left peg. So, another rugby player is Otteri Black. I couldn't possibly tell you. I feel like, oh. off the top of my head, I would guess right, but okay. I'm slightly clutching at Santiago Arata. Left-footed. 
Okay, you're quite confident. Very confident on that. Very, yeah. very confident in that. I just have to picture him doing one kick, and I, I remember him doing that kick where he had his arse cheeks hanging out. So, uh, Cleveland Laubser. Um, he's. I want to say right, but I'm not confident. Okay, okay. Anyway, that's the that that was the point in that. Does that apply to football as well? Can you instantly remember if people are left or right foot? No, because no. people people are a bit more ambidextrous in football. I think oh, you have to use both feet rather than yeah. in rugby. You take, make a conscious decision to drop the ball onto your foot, and it obviously does vary depending on what side of the pitch you're on and so on. Like Josh Adams in the last couple of years has learned to kick off his left foot because uh, he plays on the left wing, mm. and you know it's pretty handy being able to kick off both in rugby increasingly. Yeah, but. That's something we'll probably cover in a video at some point, I'm sure. Sure, 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 sure. Okay. Anyway, or not, um, we have avoided talking about this game for long enough now, I think. We really have. So, as I said, should we look at the teams for Australia Ireland from 1987? I think we probably should. Do you want to start with Australia? Start with Australia. Australia. Start with Australia. Yeah, because there's stuff to talk about there. Yeah. Um, so they keep David Campesi at fullback. Yeah. After his mixed game the indeed, previous time out. Indeed. We'll come on to Campo and how he plays and stuff. Yeah. He is generally brilliant, but sometimes he has moments where you're just like, have you ever seen rugby before, mate? Because he just does some really stupid shit every now and then. I mean, but it's great. It's entertaining. So before always. the game as well, they're talking about this a lot. Yeah. David Campesi was not seen as being good under the high ball, mm. right? Like that was his problem area. Yeah. And at one point during the game, right, he comes on in just the very modern technique where you turn your body sideways and bring it into your chest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that you don't knock it on. And if you knock it, if you drop it, it goes backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That very modern technique that yep. players started doing about 10 years ago yeah, properly yeah, yeah. and was existing in bits before that. Right? Sure. He does that twice during this game. First time he does it, the commentator laughs. It's like, I've never seen someone take a high ball like that before. It looks ridiculous. Not realising that's how everyone will do it in 30 years' yeah. time. Funny that, isn't it? But yeah, so that means um, Matt Burke and Peter Grigg are put onto the wings. With Pap Daddy back in. Pap Daddy Pap is back Daddy. at 12. And he is loving it. He's loving being there. Nick Farr-Jones comes back in for Brian Smith. Uh, from halfback. Yes, We'll go on to the incredible but game he has. The big change, the big change in this team, right, is Topo Rodriguez, mm. the Argentine-born Australian loosehead, yes. is dropped from the team for Cameron Lillicrap, who... Now, Topo Rodriguez has played every game for Australia in the World Cup, right? Yes. And they bring Lillicrap in out of nowhere. And the reason they give, right, in the, the commentary, the reason apparently the coach had given was Topo Rodriguez hadn't been, like, at top speed. He hadn't been up to pace. Oh, right. So, I don't know why, in 1987, you're picking a loose head on speed. Yeah, I was going to say, because loose heads basically don't get the ball in this age. Yeah. Do you want to know a fun fact about Topo Rodriguez? Please. Australia is the third country he played for. Really? So, he won one cap for Tahiti in 1981. No. Yep. Wow. Then he played... Oh, no, sorry. No, no, no. I'll start that again. Okay. Because between 1979 and 1983, he got 13 caps for Argentina. And in the middle of that, he got one cap for Tahiti. And then he played for Australia in 1984 to 1987, winning 26 caps. So let me do the maths here. He wins 40 caps among three nations. He's like the coach of that Fiji football team. (laughs) <laughs> just disappeared to coach another team in the middle. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes in different sports, who knows? So the other thing about Cameron Lillicrap, who comes in for him at Loosehead, mm. right? Who, again, hasn't really played in this tournament, but comes in and starts. He had been, though, a key part of the Australia Grand Slam Tour of 1984, the kind okay. of really famous Wallaby team. Yeah. That then, but then lost his place when Topo Rodriguez decided he was Australian. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that'll probably happen to other na- people from other nations to come. 
However, yeah, he gets his place back here, right? He then goes on to retire, as most players do, which is weird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've never really known why that happens. Mm. He retires in 1994. Other than Johnny Sexton, he never retires. <laughs> he retires in 1994, right? Mm-hmm. And qualifies as a physio. And then, right, becomes the Queensland and then later Reds physios. Right. Uh, from 1996 to 2001 and then for, for the Queensland and the Reds. Yeah. And then, right, 1999 World Cup, he wins, well, he goes, he technically, right, wins two World Cups because he goes to the 91 tournament as a player and the 99 tournament as a physio. Wow. That's an interesting career trajectory, that. Yeah. He continues the Wallaby physio until the 2007 World right. Cup. Where he, he retired just before it. Wow, um, so was it because um, with 2019 there was 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 uh, was it Alan Walters who was a qualified coach and physio uh, who would actually give you like, tactical advice from uh, Jack Nineleber? Was it Jack Nineleber? Jack Nineleber is a physio. Right. He started as a physio. That's how he met Razzie. Wow, he was a physio when Razzie was a player. Right. Okay. And they okay. Just, oh no, no, they met in the army. They met in the army. I think, right. When they so it's were kind there. of the inverse of that. But they were. Point. Yeah. Jack yeah. Nineleber is a physio, so it was allowed on the sideline because uh. he's a qualified physio. Which meant that he could stand on the sidelines shouting defensive instructions sure. to them. Yeah, which yeah. is an ingenious way around that system. It is, it is. Uh, and they mastered that, clearly. Yeah, um, and he wasn't yeah, quite that. It's, it's an interesting but, yeah. kind of adaptation of that yeah. uh, concept. He retired to go into private practice for 2007 because right. dollar, dollar, bill, y'all. Yeah. I hate that I said that. Cool. Okay, so yeah, he comes in at loose head. That's probably the key change in the Australia team, the most controversial between yeah. him and Campesi. Yeah, yeah. Certainly the one that the commentators are talking about most, isn't it? Yeah. But, right, the Ireland team, they largely stick as they are. Mm. The commentator makes the point that this is the seventh game in a year that this entire backline have played together. That's pretty good, actually. They also say at halftime, the presenter says, we had a lot of talk before this tournament and before this game, indeed, that this is possibly the best Irish backline there's ever been. <sighs> I would love He's... to see what came from. The thing is, though, I've he... seen, like, Mike Gibson play. Yeah. He's pretty damn good. Him on his own is better than the rest of this back line. Yep. <laughs> I, I would take him on his own against seven of these. I yep. would fancy his chances in a game of touch. Uh, the, comment, the, the, the host then says, I'd hate to see their worst. Yeah. And it's yeah, true. That's so, what we're seeing. So it's their tried and tested combo. Mm. Uh, the one kind of, I guess, slight change is that Paul Dean comes in at fly half. Yes, instead of Tony Ward, who I think had actually played fairly well throughout the World Cup. Yeah. But... Yeah, Paul Dean comes in. I'm not really sure what the reason they cited for that is, but... Um... They were saying it was for his kicking game. Okay. They were saying for his better kicking game, which boy did not show up. No, nope, because Ward had kicked fairly well, if memory serves me correctly. Yeah. But, yeah, they, for some stupid reason, stick with Michael Bradley at scrum off. And the other one is that they uh, had the quota of needing a racist in the team, so yes. they moved Neil Francis to number eight. Yeah, for a second cap. Yeah. He'd come in the second row. He had never played number eight before in his life. Yes. Which is a really strange time to start it on the yep. quarterfinals of the World Cup. But, you know, Ireland maybe take some lessons from this. And, you know, if they don't do this again, maybe they'll win some quarterfinals. Do you think? Do you think that could happen? Easily. It's Surely at some point in the next, I don't know, 35 years, they're bound to win at least the, one. The, the chances are pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's like, there's like eight more World Cups in that time. They've got to win yeah. at least one quarterfinal, right? You think? You'd think. So, yeah, Neil Francis comes in to be a cunt at number eight. Yep. They cite specifically, this is something I found really interesting, right? They He's in the team literally because he's tall. Yeah, yeah, they, tell, they said and, that in the last game as well, didn't yeah. they? And basically, they went, Australia are great at the line out. We are just going to pick the tallest team we can so we can disrupt their ball a bit. And it sort of works. 
Mm. Like, yeah. if you look at this Ireland team, right, the only area of the game where they are competitive with Australia is the line-out. Agreed. Right, the line-out is pretty even. Yeah, and... yeah, they're good at the line-out, like Ireland are. Yeah, but the thing is, when you're good at the line-out, that's... <sighs> the objective of the line-out is to win possession, yes. right? And then... <sighs> In order for this possession to be worth anything, it has to go through the scrum half. Mm. But at scrum half, Ireland had Michael Bradley. And every, virtually every time he'd get the ball at the back, back of a line-out, he would just boot it straight into touch sideways because he's getting oh, contact. So, so there's a mo- the moment when they give the stat that this team has played seven times together in the last year mm-hmm. and is really well drilled, know each other inside out, right? Yeah. The next thing that happens is Michael Bradley throws a pass that goes across the face of four players and bounces up, like, eventually into the winger's hands because it's such a shite pass that misses all the centre and both, both yeah. centres and the fly off. Ben eventually bounces up the wing and picks it up and kicks it out on the full. <laughs> like this is this is this yeah, is what it's we're such a well drilled backline. Yeah, this is. the greatest Irish backline. I of all time. don't want to pry about this too much, and I think I will. And I apologise in advance to the listener, but Michael Bradley in this game, I think, might be the worst performance I've ever seen in a knockout stage of the World Cup by a player ever. Worse than Richard Harding in the previous game, quite possibly. Quite really? possibly. Yeah, I think no. I, oh, I don't know. Between him and, like, also, Trevor Ringland is dog shit in this game. And I, I, thought, Cup, I, thought, I thought Ringland was okay. Um, I don't know. Uh, we'll come on to some of the reasons why I okay. think. But Bradley in particular, playing scrum off. You I thought, them. don't get Ringland was at least put under pressure by a really good Australian Yeah, and he has a couple game. of, like... He has a couple of good runs. He has stuff, a couple of times wrong, in which he is given absolutely nothing by a terrible yeah, yeah, back line. Yeah. And he does okay. Sure. And he'll make like 10 metres then go into touch when he probably should have just gone into touch. Ringland has the excuse that he isn't helped by playing against a good opposition and not in a good back line. Yeah, and in a uh, period, On the wing, it's very difficult. Period in the team where wingers didn't come off their wing. Yeah, yeah. And you're opposite Matt Burke and David Camper. But like, we are... I get it. We are burying the lead here, right? Which yeah. is that Michael Bradley was dog shit. He, he, he was really, really terrible. As I said, I will explain more on this later, okay. but just as a precursor, like, I am... Um, it it made me really quite upset at times uh, how bad he played. Like you know, I've I've played games where I've come off the field and thought, oh yeah, I could have done more there, you know, physically. Mm. But let me tell you for free, none of those were fucking quarterfinals of rugby world cups. No, and it kind of you can kind of see in here his career as a coach. Mm. In the you can tell that all the skills are there, right? You can tell he can kick, he can pass, mm. he can do all of it technically well. Like if you put him in a training paddock, if you put yeah, him in like, one sure of those like great. yeah, one of those like things they do before games, like at big games where they will kind of set up like a skills drill and you do like pass through the yeah, circle, yeah, yeah, yeah. kick it over a hoop or whatever. Yeah, I'm sure. Right? Grand, grand Instead of one that. of those, he'd be grand, right? If you put it into action, it's dog shit. It's terrible, yeah. And that's kind of what all his teams have been like. They've looked really well drilled. They've looked really well trained. They look like they've got ideas and none of them work because the team just gets punched in the throat the, and they all fall apart. And that's it. Like, there's a point where the commentator says like, oh, you know what? Yeah, Australia doing well, but I just think, you know, Ireland, they just need to try a bit harder. And you know what? I agree. Yeah. Yeah. He was right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, there was a couple of players who just clearly could not be asked as soon as Australia okay. scored a try. Should we talk about how bad Ireland are first? We, yeah. I don't know, because I... Here's the thing, right? I do think Australia play really well. Australia are brilliant. Australia right? play yeah. excellently. Like This it's... is probably the best non-New Zealand performance of the tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'd say France have had a couple of great games, right? Yeah. But I, I think I'd agree with that because it's really comprehensive. That I think it's the first time we've seen a team other than New Zealand have a really clear 
kicking approach. Yes. Like, tactically, they really know what they're doing. They've clearly really got it down. Everybody's on the same page. Not only is Liner putting it on the money all the time, the chase is excellent. Yeah. And they know how to organise a back So I want to, I want to, like, very publicly and properly kind of apologise for something we did at the start of the podcast. Because mm-hmm. we had a moment watching that first game between Australia and England where we wondered, is Michael Liner actually terrible and yeah. just built up by reputation? And no, we he was We phenomenal. were really wrong. Yeah, he, yeah. He had one bad game. Yeah. And he's brilliant. It happened to be the first full game I ever saw him play. He's, yeah. He, he didn't play very well. But let me tell you, in every game since then, he's been excellent. Like, And he is so good in this game. He yeah. is... I, I shouldn't spoil it, right? He is easily my man of the match. <laughs> like there is, there is no competition, as far as I'm concerned. It is Michael Liner by such a distance. We are like what this is like. This match, right? It is like watching a below-average 1987 team play against a team from the mid 90s. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is like it's not modern level rugby. No, level, right? no, no, no. But there is thought and coaching That's and approach it. that has gone into it. You can in see the way that they that have they... tactics. Yeah, you know, like there is there is some real substance behind what they're trying to do. And even when they don't nail it. Like, sometimes a kick will go out on the full, or somebody will miss a tackle on the chase and stuff. But you can see, oh, I see what they were trying to do there. I, yeah. I know what they were thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it comes from basically every aspect of their game. Like, their defence is reasonably well marshaled for 1987. Yeah, I um, agree with that. I'm not going to go overboard in analysing it, because it's still, you know, it's still... It's very basic, defense, isn't it? Right? But it's still good. But it, yeah. they are organised and as a line. Yeah. And the, the first try that Ireland do score in the second half through Hugo McNeil comes basically from them working as a system rather than working as individuals, yeah, which yeah. is the normal approach at the time. Of course. Like, basically, people just ran up, standing roughly where they're supposed to, and as a lot, you know. And again, like, you know, defensive lines were invented in about the 50s, so we're kind of 30 years on from that, and then you then move beyond, like, before that, players stood like it was football, and, like, they are all over the pitch, right? Yeah. So it's about the 50s, they invent defensive lines. Then somewhere in the 60s and 70s, they start to invent line speed. Mm. That slowly kind of creeps in and teams coming up as, you know, as lines. Yeah, coming up, yeah. And this looks like the next step in what Australia are doing. Uh, not to get too carried away because, you know. But, yeah, we're still a long way off. Uh, but you can see players are looking at the teams, ra- the players around them to stay connected. Yeah. And that is a big step forward. It certainly just is. Just in the fact that they're not defending as individuals who happen mm. to be in a wall. They are defending more as a team, which is interesting. And as I say, I think the fact that McNeil, you know, two players fall for a dummy. Yeah. Um, because they're both kind of watching where the other man is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's a really interesting step forward. I'm sure it's happening with a few other teams, but you're just paying less attention. Yeah. You know. It's vibes, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, I found myself paying closer attention to the Australia team in this game in general because of how good their kicking game was. Mm. And because they generally felt like a more modern team. Yeah. So I yeah. felt like there was more to kind of pay attention to. So I found myself looking at the defence in a way yeah, I haven't yeah. really. I've normally gone, as as per Lee's family from last week, like, look at the state of that tackling. And that's kind of been my <laughs> input on, on, on defence. Yes. Yeah. I would agree with everything you've just said. Australia are... They take it up a gear, I think. Yeah. They... Um, Australia, the commentators do say at one point that they think Australia have got gradually better with each game, and I yeah. agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I think that they're it's it's the kind of trajectory you want in a World Cup, yeah. where you've not peaked too early. You look like you're you're gradually rolling forward as time goes on. They did not play well against England. No, they still won that game. Yeah, and as you say, they've then improved the point at which this is like quite comprehensive. And yeah, the head and shoulders better than Ireland. Yeah, yeah. And you look at this and you think, yeah, they could give the other better teams in the tournament a good game yeah. you know, with playing like this 
Uh, I can't wait to see them lose to shitty Wales later in the tournament. Anyway, so should we look at the actual game? Yeah, I thought I figured we were. I thought we were. It's in just like chron- chronologically some of the stuff that uh, the specific things that happened. <laughs> sure. So the very first thing I notice is Philip Matthews going up and absolutely bodying Nick Far Jones. Oh no 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 no! Are we skipping the controversy before the game? Controversy before the game. The controversy before the game. Maybe the most pointless controversy in the history of the Rugby World Cup, right? You've lost me. Maybe the most pointless, pointless controversy the the game, certainly the World Cup, has ever seen, right? So, they'd set a rule for these quarterfinals. The teams had to line up or at least like stand in a certain place for the anthems being played. Okay. Right? So they could still be in a huddle if they want, but they need to be in halfway, both sides at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, organised. They said that for the quarterfinals in particular, as like, these are bigger deals, we're doing this, we're yeah, going to commit yeah. to this, because there's been all this kind of like, general faffing around over the the anthems in general. Like, teams stand in circles, they then huddle up, they break off, they just mm-hmm. chat over them. Yeah, they yeah. don't really give a shit about the anthems. Australia refused to do that. Oh. They went, so Ireland set up on halfway in their usual position, like, or... You know, Ireland who don't have an anthem. Ireland who aren't having an anthem. They're not playing an anthem against Tonga in the World Cup, of course. The only time in the Rugby World Cup where there's been no anthems mm-hmm. early in this tournament. Then here, Ireland don't have an anthem. They line up properly. Australia said before the game they were going to refuse to do this this anthem warm-up. This anthem placement, right? right. Um, and then they go and stand on like the far end of the ground, so they're as far away from the spot as possible. And they do huddle and... The basically, there's a really long pause of like a full minute in which the two teams are waiting for the anthems to start. And then eventually, the Australian anthem does start because they just kind of go, well, we've got to play it. Like, the team clearly aren't going to yeah, get in position yeah. for it. There's nothing um, we can do to enforce this. Yeah. I've got no idea why they do it. No. I don't understand I did it. hear the commentators saying, oh, yeah, they're in a huddle to kind of enforce togetherness and uh, like team spirit. Well, so the commentator has a word about how... It's typical of the Australia team. They're very disconnected from the nation. No one really liked them. People didn't connect with them much. People prefer um, rugby league, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was at a period where it was fairly even, still in the early 90s. Like, yeah, but it wasn't, they all, they all went bigger. to rugby league, though, didn't yeah. they? That's my point. You know, like, Union was probably comparatively bigger now than it was mm, be- sure. sorry, then than it is now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this team were not connecting with the nation, and mm. they didn't care about that. Yeah. Um and there's Pat a lot Duddy of talk. wasn't an icon back then, but he is now. There's a lot of talk in the early stage of the game and over the game by the commentators of the sheer amount of pressure and hate being put on the Australian public. So they got oh, wow. booed off the pitch in the previous game against Japan because they conceded some tries against a really good team. Yeah. And then there were all kinds of like really horrible savage takedown pieces in the media about them. So one said that they played more like a traditional European team in that they were kind of big and physical and they kicked a lot. Burn. They hated that. Mark Eller wrote a piece for a tele for an Australian paper that basically said, "I hate this team. We should burn them all." Yeah, I hate you, and we should burn you, Mark Eller. <laughs> yep. Um, My face dropped when you said his name. Yeah. So he'd written like a really angry piece that had been taken up as like, "Yeah, these Wallabies are shit, and we hate them." Right. And there was one that talked about them being like, "Oh, isn't it a shame that finally we get a World Cup and we've got one of the worst Wallaby teams ever." And this was not that, but they weren't offloading everything. So I think it was being seen as, God, such a boring Wallabies, yeah. we don't like them. And yet, actually, they've got a decent kicking game. So yeah. who cares? Michael you know, Checker and he's furious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, were there bonus points in the World Cup back no. then? 
No. Uh, just accidental Michael Checker. Oh, sorry. Um, right. No, that's okay. So, is the, so that's the anthem controversy. Yes, the completely pointless anthem controversy where yeah. Australia just refused to stand for the anthems properly. And Big people deal. were really angry about them and people booed and it was a whole thing. Big deal. Um, and then they get into position and they win the game. Yeah, yeah, indeed they do. But yeah, so it's like not long after the kickoff, yeah, Nick Far Jones boots a ball into the air. Phil Matthews leaps leaps into the skies and lands his ass into Far Jones's face, and Far Jones is knocked out on the floor. He's yeah. both he is both concussed and has clearly like dislocated his shoulder. Or yeah, like he is holding his arm in yeah. a really uncomfortable way. But also, you could, he looks dazed. Yeah, like he looks dizzy. He looks like he's ready to be sick. He looks like he's ready to cry for a lot of it. Like he should so, not be on the pitch. He goes, and guess what? Yeah, he goes down for enough for about. Three minutes or something? Yeah. Great thing. The commentator suggests this injury is because it's early in the game, so he isn't warmed up. <laughs> it was a different time, man. Yeah, indeed. It was a different time. But he then... There's, like, there's, a, there's an infamous story about... I forget his name. It was in the early 70s, I think. It was a Man United player. Right. Who used to go onto the pitch and do warm-ups beforehand. And one of the opposition took the piss out of him and was like... He said something like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, doing exercises to warm up. And he was like, you're about to play 90 minutes of football, mate. That's the exercise. <laughs> uh, and then obviously the guy went on to score a hat-trick and was yeah. like, well, yeah, that was my exercise. You go, King. Like, yeah. But yeah, so uh, Nick Ford Jones then plays on for another 10 seconds, maybe. Mm. So that they say, right, okay, you're fine. You can just play on, mate. Yeah, don't worry about the concussion. Don't worry about the dislocated shoulder or whatever. And so he puts the ball into a scrum mm. and then realises how fucked his elbow, his, uh, his shoulder oh, is. Oh, yeah. So he, he, like, then clearly twinges, like, oh, oh, that's not good. And, like, he then gets a push from the opposition scrum off, as always happens. Mm. And he's like, oh, okay, that's really not good. And then immediately gestures to the sideline and says to his number eight, like, no, you pick up the ball. I need to go off here, mate. Yeah. And then immediately, like, Brian Smith is warmed up and already ready to go on yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so thankfully he doesn't there's no consequences to him playing on it's just well Brian Smith has warmed up because otherwise the same would have happened again yeah yeah so yeah Far Jones just goes straight off thankfully so yeah he, there's no chance for him to take contact yeah or to really run about you know he just goes to sit on the sideline though so he is quite Nick Close Jones nice it's not good. really it's pretty um, good. so so he goes off Brian Smith comes on, Eddie Jones loses his shit, yep. just starts fuming, starts booing, starts writing six new opinion pieces on why these wallabies are the worst ever. Yep. Do you think that's what it was all coming from? It was all Eddie Jones being furious about Brian just Smith existing. Mind games. Just mind games. I I love I love the pettiness of that, because Eddie Jones is so clearly one. <laughs> yet he still hates Brian Smith with a passion and brings him up all the time of how much he hates him. It is brilliant. It is brilliant. And off that scrum, right, that comes straight after Nick Far Jones goes off. Yeah. <laughs> Ireland run a play that I think sums them up, right? So, as I mentioned, Australia have got kind of a system, right? Yeah. And they start to pincer in a bit when Ireland go to 10 and they hit 12. And then 12 is about to, you know, like, if he hits 13, Australia starts to pincer in and they've got space. They've got space outside. Or like a cross kick or something might be on, right? Instead, Ireland do a switch back to the only player who is, like, the only area where there's players. So they run this completely pointless switch, knock it on, and Australia kick it downfield and make up 60 metres. And that is just how this game goes. Yeah, Ireland constantly. Like, if they get the ball, they do something incredibly stupid and lose it before they get to a phase of play or before they meet five metres. And Australia then boot them downfield because their kicking game is exceptional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they get three points very early on because of this sort of thing. There's a point where when 
Ireland have been pinned back in their own 22. Michael Bradley picks the ball up, sees Liner in front of him, and tries doing this pointless grubber around him, which gets deflected off Liner. Mm. And then Michael Bradley gives away a stupid penalty, like off the, the back of that. And she's like, You're just being stupid here, mate. And then it's 3 0 to Australia. And then we have the try, which comes from not dissimilar circumstances. Yes. Uh, I mean, so we have the drop goal, in be- another kick in between, but like this mm. leads on from. So the first try, right? As you mentioned about kicks being deflected. Yeah. So off a line out, around the 22, Michael Liner attempts to drop goal and put them 9 0 up. Yeah. And instead it gets charged down, but the ball ricochets loose. Few players dive on it. It's all a bit chaotic and rambunctious. Until the ball is at the back of a breakdown, Michael Bradley picks it up and drops it immediately, and one of the Australians dives on it and scores. I think it's McIntyre? Yes, it is. McIntyre. It's one of the worst tries of the World Cup. Yep. Because, you're right, it comes from a missed drop goal, which goes horribly, and then Ireland just completely have no composure. Michael Bradley shits himself. Yep. Sort of an inch, well, no, not even an inch, about five metres out from his try line, so he can take contact there. Yeah. He just refuses to, and then just offloads it to an Australian who... Is in not offloads it to him, but it's on the floor for, for yeah, McIntyre to dive. In it. It. I think he's trying to like throw it randomly to a teammate, but he yeah, just kind of yeah. drops it on he the floor. He doesn't have a teammate that he's targeting. Like, does the he? ball doesn't bounce up for McIntyre to dive no. on? It's just loose on the it's floor. Dog like it shit lands by Michael Bradley. Yeah, yeah, like a dog rubbish. shit. Yeah, like it is like a dog dropping a shit. Like, it really literally, is. that pass is. Dog it really shit. is. It would have been better if it was a dog because then he'd be it's the man dog on the pitch. Yeah, exactly. But no. So, yeah, they score that try. The other thing that we've not touched on from sort of the first sort of 10, 20 minutes of the game is the early introduction of David Campese. Oh, yes. Because it's the one thing that Ireland do quite well at the start is they send a kickoff to David Campese right on the corner flag, less than five metres out from the Australian try line, and David Campese drops it. Mm. It's a knock-on and Ireland get the put into the scrum. Obviously, they do nothing with it because they're shit. Yeah, they they run the same move and they cut back in field. (laughs) And... They get smashed and turned over immediately. Yeah. They run that switch like three times, and I think the, the player taking contact knocks it on every time. Stupid. But yeah, then I'm... Ireland have it again a minute later, where they put up another high ball for Campo to, to deal with, mm. and he knocks it on again. And you're thinking like, oh, okay, Campo's, Campo's got the shakes here. Yeah. He's dropped two in the first few minutes. Do you want to know what I had written in my notes from that? What? Camp. Oh, No. Really good, but yeah. Th- at this point, you'd think Ireland would then make the most of that. Think let's yeah. let's put some some kicks up on Campo. Really put some pressure. Considering on him. they've started Paul Dean in order to exploit that kicking game. Yeah, 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 to, yeah. Like, Lean on those kind of bombs. And he was very famous. The for. commentators figure this out, don't they? They say like, oh yeah, Ireland. You know, they're going to test David yeah. Campese now. They're going to really test him. I just don't see it for the rest of the game. You see it once. Campese takes it perfectly, and they go, oh okay then. <laughs> okay, that's then. it. Like yeah. oh, okay, it's like the. If you do something, right, three times and it works twice and doesn't work once. Yeah. I think that says keep doing it. Sure. At least try it a fourth time and see if you can get a majority vote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Like, you don't you don't govern on one outlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this is where Australia kind of really counter it with a good kicking mm. game as well. There's Patworth, Pat Daddy himself does one brilliant kick, like a chip over the top, which just forces Crossland into touch mm. and there's not really much you can do about it then Liner does a, f- a few excellent ones to just really put the Irish back three under pressure and then eventually we get the Brian Smith try 
I yes. say eventually, it's in very quick succession to the McIntyre try. Mm. But it's just a dart off a of scrum five. And it's very clear what he's going to do the whole time, that he's going to go himself and dive over. But the Australian pack was that dominant that you couldn't oh, really stop it. It's a real classic old school scrum try where they deliberately wheel the Irish pack so that no one's in position for Smith to just dart over yeah, and score. Yeah, yeah. Like classic scrum half try, but even more vintage scrummaging that yeah, we don't yeah. see anymore. No one lets that happen anymore. Yeah. It's really hard to create that angle that they do, the Island Pack do, to yeah, open yeah. up for Smith. It's really nice. And as the conversion goes over, you realise it's the, the tall goalposts again. Oh, is, is it? We're back at that ground. Yes. The commentators do mention it at one point, and they start debating, like, is this the largest set of goalposts I've ever seen? And it's like, yeah, probably. It's pretty damn tall. I have learned, somebody tagged me on Twitter saying that there's the, the, another taller set that yeah, we yeah, discussed in the previous is, podcast. Yeah, it's the and second tallest. That out. Yeah. Second tallest set of goalposts so, in the world. I've had ver- verification on that. Yeah. But, yeah, so we're back at that ground. Was it the Oval, I think it's called? Mm. The... Yeah, the Concord Oval. The Concord Oval, that's the one. What else happens? Uh, Michael Lino does some really good shit. Matt Burke scores a try. Matt Burke scores a very simple try. Yeah, and it's at that point you go, to, "Oh my god, this is an absolute thumping." It's it's, it's kind of shameful for Ireland. at this point. So the conversion of this try goes over in the twenty fifth minute to make mm. it twenty four nil. So they're just short of a point a minute at this point. Um, and as I say, right, that's three tries all converted. That should that be twenty one nil with yeah. two penalties. So thirteen. You're looking twenty eight nil. Oh, very easy in, tries as yeah. well. Um, modern parlance I think Burke's try is very nice it's Pap Daddy gets the ball does like a nice carry stays really balanced and then offloads mm. at the last second times it brilliantly Burke comes off his wing at the last minute and yeah goes under the sticks 24-0 yeah it's very very comprehensive and you can't see enough away this is going to go no. and like I said earlier right should we talk about how shit Ireland were this is very that was talk about because all they sort of do is drop the ball the first phase if they get it. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, there is no invention whatsoever. They're it's... very, very slow. Not in terms of, like, speed and movement. Like, they've yeah, obviously got a yeah. couple of, like, Ringland and Crossland in particular are rapid. And we'll get onto Crossland in a minute. But they're very quick to run to the touchline, I can tell you that much. But, like, so the speed of thought in every Irish player is so slow. Yeah. Right? There's a moment which they do hands down the line, and it is slower than a school's team. Yeah. Like, it is everyone catches, they stop, they turn, they pass. Yeah. It is literally at that speed yeah. it's not pam bam 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 yeah. bam there's none of the kind of like very fluid handling that people do at this time where they have the ball out in front of them and they yeah, kind of spin yeah. it and they kind of like pass it along none of that it's properly slow and considered it was the everyone's next... deep off each other and it's pointless yeah like they're just pointlessly slow and there's nothing of interest to watch with them the next thing i had written on my notes is island wingers love going into touch and yep. michael bradley especially you know, oh playing mate nine. like as i say every time they want a line out he would either run into touch or he would kick it directly there's into a touch. there's a moment where liner hangs liner hangs a few really nice bombs in this one right yeah, he does this game there's one here where he hangs what would be a pretty average one mm. that is about 10 meters out from the uh, the Irish line. Yeah. Uh, Michael Bradley is underneath it. He's clean under it. The chase is okay, but like Bradley would be tackled if he t- gets the ball, but there's no one going to beat him to it or smash yeah, him if he takes yeah. it, right? So he catches it, and he could call the mark. Yep. He doesn't. He could kick it back. He doesn't. He could try and take contact and take his chances. Have a bit of a he run, doesn't. you know, back yeah. himself. He has two players around him to pass to. He doesn't. Instead, he walks into touch. 
Like very actively walks yeah. into touch. Like he looks at touchline and goes, this is my best option and walks yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is my safe place. A tackler five metres in front of him. So at one point I started making notes. I did a tally on how many times each Irish player ran into touch. Okay. Right? So McNeil ran into touch once. Okay. It's not bad. Yeah, that's fine. You know, to say he was put under a bit of pressure. I think that one was forgivable. Keith Crossan runs into touch twice. Okay. I think one of them was under pressure and one of them was unforced. I think Crossan is one of the best performances in this Irish team. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think, like, he is clearly trying his best. I would agree with that. Which I, I don't I actually think... have it written down there at the top. Fair play, Crossan is trying. I think Crossan and Philip Matthews are trying their best. Mm. I think... That is more than you can say for a lot of In these fact, players. Yeah, I would say Cross is definitely Ireland's best player. Yeah. yeah, I'd agree with that. Ringland runs into touch three times. Okay, uh, I think one of them might have been slightly under pressure. The other mm. two unforced. Michael Bradley twice. However, he also four times kicked the ball backwards or straight out on the fall. Jesus, just Christ. to just because he was scared of contact and not as a way of trying to gain territory. Like, he would turn to the touchline and then just kick it straight. Four times. Or just hack it along the floor because he didn't want to pick it up. How was he the best Ireland has? In the best backline ever. Yeah. It's... World Cup quarterfinal, that is unforgivable. Yeah, and I know it's the first World Cup, so it's a different level of prestige. Of course it is. But... But... But the other thing about this, when we keep saying it's the first World Cup, right? The World Cup existed in almost every other sport at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, the, the football World Someone Cup... Someone could have done some research. ...was still the biggest sporting event in the, uh, of the Olympics. The biggest, yeah. like, single sport event in the world, right? Yeah. Like, you've finally got a rugby chance to do this. Yeah, They yeah. know how many people are watching. They know this is the first time that rugby matches are being, you know, screened globally. Yeah. Like, normally, games between New Zealand and South Africa or whatever, you know, normally, like, the the... You know, previous quarterfinal between France and Fiji wouldn't have been screened in the UK. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Like, if it's not a Five Nations or involving a home nation, those games won't be broadcast. You know this is the most attention rugby's ever been put under. Yeah. You know all of this. You still should be, regardless of the quarterfinal and the kind of, you didn't have the World Cup cycles mm. and the peaking for World yeah, Cups yeah, and so yeah. on thing then. F- fine, whatever, right? You still know this is the most attention you've ever had on a fixture. Yep. And, and yet, he, you know, just... All he can do is just attack the touchline. Yeah. That's all he's, all he's done. And look, I'm sure he's a nice bloke, Michael Bradley. I don't really know. But, and look, I'm aware it's pointless to essentially attack a player from a performance he had 35 years ago. But yep. yeah, it was very bad, is my point. And like, it just makes you think like, oh, like Dave Shanahan has never won an Irish cap. And yet he can make a tackle and yeah. can pick a ball up. You know, real shame. <laughs> It's a shame as well that Michael Bradley doesn't have a website we can read. It's true. It's true. And like contact him for his estate agent needs. Yeah. Anyway, so anything more from the first half? Oh, the, the one other thing, right, is Paul Dean has a shot at goal. Yeah. Uh, which would be Ireland's first points of the game when they're like 24 nil down, I think, or something. Yeah, they are. He scuffs it absolutely horribly. Like it is Awful. on par with the Jonathan Webb one from last week, mm. which... Somehow, like, he pulls it so far across the face of the goal, it almost goes into the opposition corner flag. Like, yeah. it's, it's horrible. And the yeah. commentator says, that's just typical of Ireland's luck today. And like, mate, that was not luck. <laughs> that was, that was very negligent of skill. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a point where an Irish medic comes on and really struggles to pour water into a player's boot. What? So there's a player down injured. And, of course, as what happened with medics and physios at this point... They just go, well, if we just wet it, it'll be fine. 
And so he gets this water bottle and tries spraying it onto the inside of like he has the, one of those really long like tongues on mm. his on his boot. And he like, lifts that up and just tries spraying water in it. But he's doing really badly because the lid's like half hanging off. So oh, half of no. it's coming out of the lid rather than squirting out of the nozzle. So this physio is really having a bad time spraying that water. Bring that back. Yeah. Bring just pouring water in <laughs> place. Bring that back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That needs to come back. Just make something soggy and it'll be fine. Speaking of getting back. Right. So there is five minutes in which Keith Croslin he has an excellent, excellent five minutes. He does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So David Campesi is twice denied the try that would give him the world record yeah. for most tries scored by Keith Croslin. Yeah. Who a fair play to him. Yeah. Like, he is rapid, Crossan, when he's like, if just flat out sprinting against David Campisi, burns him both times. Yeah. And like, neither of them have the ball in their hand. They're both just having a flat out sprint. Like, ball like, is rolling over the goal line. Yeah, yeah. And it's just the two of them. Like, both times you think Campesi's going to score. That's it. You and think like, it's nailed Because, on. like, you think, like, if Campo had the ball, mm. you'd back him to score, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, Because you'd think... You know, speed on the ball is different from speed off the ball, isn't it? You know, like Camper could use his footwork, run around and reach the corner, whatever. But when they're both just flat out sprinting in the same direction for the ball, I really enjoy that as a spectacle. Yeah. Seeing those two, clearly the two fastest men on the pitch, and crossing just sh- shaving the, and edging him both times. First one, they start from about the same position. Yeah. And Crossland beats him by like a, quite a clear distance. Yeah, he does right? very well. And you're actually like, oh, that before he dives on the ball, it's clear he's going to win the race. Yes. Right. Whereas the second one, Campesi has about a 10 metre head start. Yep. And he is sprinting on, he like kicks the loose ball along himself. And you look at that, there's no one else in shot when we first see it. It's just Campesi and the ball and the goalpost. And you think, this is nailed on. Yeah. And suddenly, Crossan comes out of absolutely nowhere from behind him. Yeah. And just catches up and just kind of like gets to Campesi as he regathers the ball a yard out. Yeah. And the best thing is, like, Campo doesn't really slow down at all. No. Like, he does exactly the right thing and keeps towing the ball along rather than bending down to pick it up and slowing himself down. Mm. Like, he keeps towing along the floor. And you're right, crossing comes out of absolutely nowhere. And you're like, whoa, hold on a second. Why is Sonic the Hedgehog diving <laughs> on the ball now? And, like, from the first angle, as it happens live, you wonder if it's a try. But when they showed the repeat from behind the goal line, it's really clear how yeah. good a job Crossland does. Yeah, Like, yeah. he gets across, makes the tackle. And forces Campo to the knock ball. it on. Yeah, And yeah. here's the thing, right? I thought we were awarding those to David Campos in this tournament. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Knock on a yard short. Come yep. on. You got given that against England. Yeah. But and that forces half time as well. Yeah. So Ireland are out of their own territory. Brilliant job by Cross and say he plays very well. Single handedly saves two tries for Yeah. For Ireland. Yeah. And I think that's frankly the only defence done by the entire team. It's, sometimes you have those games where a winger will repeatedly make last-ditch tackles and then just look up at his team and go, you pricks. Yeah. I've seen Josh Adams play for Wales enough times that yeah. I'm very aware of that performance. Maybe the best game I ever played was like that. Right. Where I was playing, I think, sort of alternating between wing and fullback because we were players short. Mm. And, yeah, like, I made, like, seven try-saving tackles. Seven? It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Wow. It was just constant, and I've never tackled like that again. <laughs> But I was constantly getting back and just diving at people's ankles as they yeah, should be scoring. Yeah, yeah, It was genuinely probably the best I've ever played. And I barely touched the ball. Yeah. I ended up in the scrum at one point as well. That was ridiculous. Um, you ended up in the scrum? Yeah, yeah, because we were just playing short and you just wanted someone to go in. Right. Uh, and I don't know how that happened. Um, Where were you playing? I said I was playing wing and fullback. No, like on the scrum. Where in the scrum were you? Oh, so... Let's not just go cover this. Okay. Let's go... Because we're going to end up in a whole... 
do that. Sort of flanker, but okay. not really. Okay. I couldn't really work out what was going on. Sure. But also it was sort of more like chicken scratchy, so I was sort of playing tired. Oh, okay. So like it's like it one of those like games a... where they kind of go like, should we just forget normal positions? Exactly. Right? So it's just like... all play. So I, I was see, sort yeah. of like, I was sort of playing tight head. But I wasn't playing tight head. I didn't oh, want to okay. say I was playing tight head because it was more like playing flanker, but I was also playing... Was it uncontested? No. Oh, wow. Wow. Fair play. Yeah. Was this like sevens? It's, yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, fair but enough. But it wasn't sevens. No, it was, like it was more like nines. Tens or something. Or elevens, yeah. yeah. But like, it was silly. It was hence yeah. why like... But yeah. Anyway, that's... Yep. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. There's a point early in the second half where the commentary cuts out, which is interesting because, like, you can just very gradually hear their vo- the Australian commentator's voice fading, and then eventually the the presenter from the, the actual TV coverage steps in and starts like filling for the commentator and saying like, "Oh yeah, we've um, we've uh, lost our commentary. We've got a man down injured there. You know, we'll try and get our commentators back." And then play carries on, and so the presenter just goes, "Well, I'll just take over commentating," <laughs> and he really like embraces saying, "Now it's Smith to Liner. Liner pumps it in the air." And now our commentators are coming oh, back. Ah, gutted for him. Yeah, but he, he really made the most of his one line of commentary and absolutely loved getting that opportunity of taking over. Because sometimes you see it where like something will cut out and they would go back to the studio and yeah. just go, oh, we're back with you in a minute, you know. Uh, uh, anyway, Will Greenwood, what do you think? And then he'll go on some tangent about ironing boards yes. and uh, that'll be it. And then he'll be like, anyway, shut up, Will Have Greenwood. We've got Stuart Barnes back. Stop and think about cats. And how sometimes cats will look in windows, but are they actually ever doing the ironing? Exactly. There you yeah, are. Yeah. As, Will Greenwood. As Will Greenwood. It was nice of him to join the podcast. Though, yeah. Briefly. But yeah, sometimes you get shit like that. And like, I have thought this before. Like, why doesn't the, the pundit just take over commentating yeah, for a yeah, minute? Yeah. I think that'd be fun. I like that the, that the guy did that. So I might give him a man of the match later. Who knows? Sure. Then there's a point. So the, when the commentator does come back, there's a point where one of them says... Cutler shouldn't be out there with the bad gas that he's got. So I don't know if he was just farting loads. And that was potentially an injury uh, or uh, an infliction that he had. Affliction that he had. Yeah, I mean that... Because when you hit gas in a rugby context, you think of pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that does imply he's farting. Yeah, yeah. He's doing a a farty boy. He's a farty boy. Yeah, for a second row to have. 
He shouldn't be. Who he was shouldn't it? be on the pitch. Cutler. Cutler. But he's Steve Cutler. Yeah. Steve Cutler's a farty boy. He's a farty boy. Steve, Steve Cutler's Cutler. a farty boy. He's a very farty boy. Oh man. They do call him farty old Steve. Why didn't Where we I know that from? Steve Cutler was a farty boy? He's a very farty boy. He's a farty boy. But he's always farting. Sometimes you get really good insight from the commentators. I like the commentators on this game. They're clear, they, you know, they, yeah. they, they, they were into it. And they enlightened me to big farty Steve. Man, tell you what, right? Farty Steve, since he retired, has gone on to lead clinical research. Oh, wow. So, maybe he's researching in a farce. How do you, how do, you do big farts? He's, he's, he's he knows how to do big farts, does new Farty ways Steve. To fart. Also played to 991, so we might see him again. Oh, we might, might see Farty Steve again. Farty Steve. I can't wait to see Farty he Steve again. He loves to fart, does Farty he's Steve. He's just big stuff, Farty boy. He's yeah. a Farty boy, he, Steve Cutler. He, he farts so much. Hold on, hold on, hold on. No, 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 no. Before okay. we get there, before yeah, we get yeah. there, I want to throw up some things about Steve Cutler. Okay, it's Farty Steve. Farty Steve. Farty Steve. Steve Cutler is a big Farty boy who single-handedly ended the COVID pandemic. What? Um, so, as I mentioned, Steve Cutler, Farty Steve has since gone in to be in clinical trials and involved in mm-hmm. that, right? And he was a big part of testing the COVID vaccine. Oh, what? So he was, his, his company, his farty company, the farty <laughs> boys, was involved in the clinical, ran clinical trials that eventually got the Pfizer vaccine over the line. Oh, that's pretty cool. And worked overtime. So, I, farty Steve ended COVID. I reckon... I can't believe the, the way we resolved COVID... Was farting and Harry Williams was right all along. I think we should do a very, very quick reenactment of how Steve Cutler's uh, contribution to ending the COVID pandemic went. So, shall I play Steve Cutler and you can play the scientist who gave him the the vaccine? Okay. Okay. Kick us off. All right, Steve. Um, How are we doing? Uh, good, mate. Uh, just just had some beans this morning. Had a good breakfast. How about you? Uh, no, that's good. That's good. That's good. No, I'm I'm very yes. Thank you. No, I yes. had a very nutritious breakfast. Thank you. Good so I just know. wanted to. So I've been working very hard. Obviously, I'm sure you're aware of the pandemic. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's a terrible, terrible thing. Yeah, um, yeah. It's very bad. Yeah, I don't like it. And we've been working very hard in the lab. Uh, mm-hmm. With the other the other boys. Oh, me too. Me too. And mate. the girls. Yeah, yeah. We've been and producing the, a lot of gifts. A lot of women, gifts. And the the men as well. Uh, the women and the men mostly doing the work. The boys and girls were less involved. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But sometimes you need you need children in a science environment purely so they can learn. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thing we've come up with is we think we've got a vaccine that might work I, yeah, for yeah, yeah, yeah. the spread of COVID-19. For, for, oh, the, COVID, the, the novel yeah, COVID, coronavirus. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was wondering if your company, your clinical trials company, would be able to possibly. Yeah, yeah, we could, we could, we could t- test it out. But okay, um, I, I got to warn you that mm. um, uh, if one of the side effects is farting, then don't worry about it because we do a lot of that anyway. Okay, okay, we're, we're a gas company. We uh, sorry, you're a gas company. We generate lots of gas. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes we have this joke in the. Uh, in the building of uh, that we uh, if one of us isn't doing too well they might have a fart attack it's quite funny it's quite yeah, funny. yeah 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 um, my favourite my favourite bit in a, a Rolling Stones song is where they say jumping jack flesh it's a guess what's your second favourite bit in a Rolling Stones song um uh there's ah oh, mate I, I really like um, the chorus of get off of my cloud I think that's a banger your your like fart cloud. No, no, no. It's just a tune. 
just, just good. I just like that song. Piece of, um, yeah, it's one yeah. of my favourite non-album singles of the Rolling Stones. That's quite interesting. That's quite interesting. Um, that was what we were researching before. The Rolling Stones. Yeah, their best. Who's your favourite Stone? Album. It's probably the the. It's synonymous, so I don't really pick a favourite. I'm a ah, scientist. Fa- I don't enough. do favourites. Yeah, I yeah, research the yeah, best. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and even then, it's all current theory. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I like I'm Brian Jones. quite into the one that gathers no moss. But other than that, I'm quite up in the air on it. Uh, well, thank you. And please get back to work. Okay. <laughs> what? Unseen. What is this? Unseen. <laughs> that was, that was good. Podcast. That was good. I enjoyed that. Anyway, I'm going to very quickly change the tone of it because... As I say, I looked at some of the other players in the, uh, in this in this tournament, or not in this tournament, in this game, mm. including Brendan Mullen, right? So, Brendan Mullen, it turns out, in two years, is going to be on trial for potentially stealing half a million euros from a bank. What? What? So, he worked at the, the Bank of Ireland for a number of years, and okay. has apparently throughout his time working there, stolen about, yeah, 500,000 euros from the Bank of Ireland. What? So he's going on trial for this in, two, like in 2024. So have you got any more details than that? Um, sure. Former Ireland rugby star Brendan Mullen hit with 2 million euro judgment. The debt relates to Dublin property firm, uh, once led by Mullen and his business partner, who has also been hit with the judgment. A London property investment company is uh, registered matching two million judgments against former Ireland rugby international Brendan Mullen and its one-time business partner Ste- uh, Ste- Stefan Fund, which is a pretty good name for somebody who works <laughs> in a bank. Stefan Fund. So that's nominative determinism for you. In relation to loans used to fund uh, the purchase of luxury apartments in Ballsbridge, Dublin 4, uh, from the National Assets Ma- Management Agency. Mullen, 58, was a director and sole shareholder in... Bisvale DAC until his resignation from the board last September. The company owned 11 apartments at the Shrewsbury Square development on Sandy Mount Avenue in Ballsbridge, Dublin, and two adjoining townhouses. And yeah, it explains a little bit about wow. properties and stuff. But yeah, allegedly, and you know, this isn't uh, this isn't all ruled upon yet, but apparently he's stolen a lot of money. And he's not allowed to have all the money in the world. But here's the thing, right? With all of the money he's stolen, he's yeah. reinvested it. Yeah. So that means that that portion of all the money in the world went to Dublin property developers. Yes, that's true. That's true. So it's being slightly redistributed. So Brendan Mullen has essentially hacked it all. So all the money in the world doesn't now belong to but one person. How did it get from Caris Williams to him? Because he was working for the bank oh, where Caris Williams bank. stores it. Right. So, so Brendan Mullen then steals it. Yes. Allegedly. And he's trying to redistribute it. He's trying to, like, you know, distribute no, wealth so amongst just... the masses, for instance. No, he's not doing... He's, he's an Owen. He is a, he's owing a lot of people, evidently. <laughs> but he's trying to make it so all the money in the world doesn't belong to one person, is my point. Mm. As it previously so he, did. He, he founded the cooperative so, movement, Brendan Mullen. Exactly, exactly. So this keeps getting deeper. I really don't think this is a Robin Hood scenario. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's quite the opposite. Yeah. I think this is just a bloke who's, who stole a bunch of money, invested it into housing, so it wasn't it was less suspicious. Sure, yeah, but yeah, he's been accused of stealing. I should say, actually, 
600,000. Well, no, allegedly, no, allegedly. Allegedly. Everything is alleged. Yes. I don't mean I to. He's been I know, accused of. I've only just heard about this case. I know almost nothing about it. I don't yep. want to say anything that's legally dubious. No, 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 no. As I say, like none of this is proven as of yet. It is all very much an accusation. But yeah, apparently this all happened around the year of 2011. So. Which is when Kareth Williams had all the money in the world last. Or thereabouts. Well, 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 well. Between 2011 well, and 2013. Well. Okay. He was so accused we, of 15 offences. We know where it is now. Yep. Cool. Good to know. Okay. Well, most of the money in the world. You know. well, no, so... No, 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 no. That's just what we know about. We know about the two million he stole. He stole all the rest as well. Come on. Why would you stop small? Oh, that's true, actually, yeah. Why would you stop small? Yeah, that's true. If you're bloody spending your rugby career slumming it in this Irish <laughs> team, right, you're going to need to have some way to get your frills after this. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I really wish that they paid Farty Steve for testing that vaccine. They did. Oh, did they? Yeah. What? So he has a bit of money? Oh, mate, his company's worth like a billion. Oh, what? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. His company's worth an insane amount of money. Wait, so every time you fart, does he get a dollar? He gets half a dollar. He gets half a dollar. Half a dollar. Which is pretty good, because a lot of people fart. A lot of people fart. We we are constantly farting on this podcast. Yeah. I mean... We've done four in this sentence between us. Yeah, I mean, famously, of course, I mean, girls don't fart. No, 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 no. But... Yeah. Like... I, I once had the thought of, like, you could sing The Cure's Boys Don't Cry as girls don't fart. It's da, 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 da. the most difficult thing about being trans isn't the being excluded from rugby, isn't the kind of hate crimes, it mm. isn't the, the real kind of, like, current stigma against it yeah. in the society. Yeah. It's the fact that you've got to stop farting. Yeah, yeah. Or indeed start farting. Yeah, if you the other direction. You go. That's yeah. the most difficult thing, I think, with yeah. being a trans man, is you've got to somehow learn to fart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like the Coldplay, really? <laughs> my favourite Coldplay song, Learn to Fart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, which Coldplay song is that meant to be? <laughs> learn to Fart. Just sounds like a Coldplay song. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Martin, I reckon, does really like healthy farts. Absolutely, reckon... his white grain of powder left him. Yeah, his farts weren't loud or smelly enough. He seems like a man who farts in front of someone, then starts giggling. Yeah, that's probably fair. and like not in a way that they're both in on the joke. Yeah, like, yeah. In a like, like, oh, get it? Yeah, like, yeah. I like, get it. You're annoyed at me. Also, two nights ago, as we recorded this, a Coldplay brought out Alan Partridge. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty mad. And yeah. last night they brought out Stormzy. Oh, same guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, it's clearly just Chris Martin's a man of taste. Eat whichever way he goes. Sure. <laughs> so, sure. you know, fair play to him. Uh, they also brought out Simon Pegg, uh, same night as Alan Partridge. Oh. So, who, of course, was in early Alan Partridge stuff. Yeah. Yeah. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. They've crossed paths before. Yeah. And, like, Steve Coogan was in Hot Fuzz, I yep. suppose. And other things, I presume, they've yeah. been together. But, yeah. So, there's... There's some nice hot that, Coldplay like, news for that you. That fun period where Simon Pegg was like a comedy, like character actor who just popped up in, mm. like you know, when he was the paedophile in Brass Eye. Of course, of course. Just didn't fancy Chris. Yeah, Ma- just Chris didn't. Martin. <laughs> yep, Chris yep. Martin did Brass didn't Eye. Didn't fancy now. Chris Martin. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Back to rugby. Finally. Um, so Burke scores another try. Uh, it comes does. from David Campese does the the bullshit thing where he enters the line from fullback yeah. and he's like, oh right, okay, it's a try. Fine. Yep. Okay. Fair enough. Good, good on you. Yeah, uh, him and Liner both do good offloads, and to be fair, really strong finish from Burke. Yeah, good finish, good finish uh, from sort of like fifteen, twenty meters out. Yeah, and he kind of weaved inside one player, and yeah, has the strength to power over. Yeah, it's very good. Um, there's around the twenty-two, right? 
not long after this, Australia hang a bomb in the air. Really good bomb. Mm. goes over the try line. Yeah. Kind of anyone's ball. McNeil has not been solid under it. And there's a few people scrambling about. In the end, I'll enforce it and they take the 20 drop yeah, out, right? Yeah. But when the ball comes loose, the commentator calls this a lolly scramble. <laughs> which I've never heard I've never before, heard that before. And I want it to come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think commentators should start saying lolly scramble until someone figures out a meaning for it. Yeah. Until one is just attached to it, like glue. It does sound like a Suda 51 game. It does a bit. Lolly scramble. Yeah. There's a point where... Australia have a tap penalty in the 22 and Liner like fake taps the ball on his foot and then yes. Phil Matthews runs up and just shoves him in the face and gets penalised for it. Yeah, yeah. It's great, great work by both of them just playing their role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like trick and then Liner kicks the penalty and nails it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, you know what, good on you. I think that was a completely fair outcome. Yeah. I think Phil Matthews was completely within his rights to go up, rush up and I push think- the guy. But also... On the condition he gets penalised afterwards. Yeah. I think that's that a fair trade. Three, three points worth conceding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I, I Look, nobody bollocked. You've Phil lost Matthews the game that. already. You're getting bollocked. The whole thing is going very, very badly. Yep. You might as well shove the opposition fly off who's having a blinder in Why the face. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Liner's goal kicking, 100%. Four conversions from four, three penalties from three. Misses the one drop goal he gets charged down. Yeah. But other than that, which flawless. results in a try anyway. Like, when are we ever seeing flawless goal kicking in this World Cup? Yeah, very And rare. taking them from all over the pitch as well. Yeah. Like he's taking them from, like, 40-odd metres out yeah. in the corner and so on. It's not, you know, there's a touchline conversion. It's not easy kicks. If anybody wants to go on and look at the... Because this game is on the Uncle Boo Miyuka Recall Pass yeah, yeah. World Cup's YouTube channel. I have noted down two funny, like, kicking altercations. Okay. One of them being about one hour, 24 minutes into the game, where there's just the world's funniest kicking battle where it all starts with Ringland drops the ball backwards and then goes, oh, I can't be arsed with this now. So he just turns to the touchline, stood completely motionless, pauses for a minute and goes, can I be asked to kick this into touch? And then thinks about it for a couple of seconds and then goes, yeah, go on then. Instead of just picking it up and diving on it or whatever. And it just does that. And Australia then like put in all of these really genuinely threatening kicks and I just keep like poofing it out of just vibes and just panic and it's just really funny because australia eventually like i think it's like campo kicks like a 50 22 off the oh back yeah, of yeah, yeah 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 it's a very good kick as well yeah yeah and there's another one where campo does a very similar thing where there's a ball along the floor and he really casually tries to like hack it into touch and it goes nowhere near and cross and picks it up and you know has a bit of a run off the back of it but yeah that's that's one one hour 29 minutes See, 20 seconds David Campe's kicking game has been a revelation in this tournament it has yeah you never hear it talked about yeah yeah you see enough from his highlights to get an impression of it yeah and, and you like, hear bits about his lack of tackling whenever but yeah that's fine but you hear about but, like his offloading and his yeah. passing and stuff that he had the running but, lines the finishing but, that stuff in his in his game but I think he's actually a pretty good fullback yeah I think he's very clearly a winger is his best position yeah but if you gave him more time to work on his high ball as yeah. would happen nowadays if he was a full-time that's pro. it yeah but he is he's threatening for from 15 yeah. as well and you imagine yeah that if he played today with the full-time conditioning and everything that would have been given to him mm. you could see him in, like in the way that like johnny mcnichol to use a welsh example mm. has turned from you know a, a very strong club winger to having a good string of games at fullback at international level last yeah. year, for example, that you could see him in that mold where you can see he's a winger and he has that threat, but he could distribute a little bit and he has yeah, like that yeah, kick yeah. in behind and is good under the high ball. And like naturally, when 
a winger is playing fullback whose main position is wing, everyone goes, oh yeah, we just pump the balls in the air yeah. and test him. Even if it's a guy who's really good under the high ball playing on the wing and you have that moment of doubt, but Camper really grows in confidence under the high ball as the game mm. goes on. As I say, he has a really shaky start dropping three or four, but then as the game goes on, he just starts pissing about. It's I love great. the fact that you've just essentially made the comparison of Johnny McGinty. Not Johnny McGinty. Johnny McGinty, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Johnny, world-renowned fullback is yeah. Johnny McGinty. Hello, Johnny, if you're listening. There's yeah, no I doubt played, over, I played with Johnny. Great no, player. No doubt over him being a fullback. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The most fullback <laughs> man I've met in my life. Johnny McNichol. Yeah. To a man, one try shot of the world try scoring record. Yeah. Which he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah Johnny yeah. McNichol was just the first example that came to mind sure, because sure, sure. I'm Welsh and I'm oh, yeah. biased. Yes. Oh, I thought you hated Wales. No. Oh. I mean, I do because you because I support my them. No, I, I I hate the Welsh men's team. That's true. That's true. When Jazz Joyce plays fullback, perfect example. That's a good example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is yeah. a good example, actually. She, she's a great fullback, is Jazz. She's she's great, but she's very clearly a winger. Oh yeah, and of course sometimes she is. Caught out position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not. Beat but we'll see the how bush. this goes. Like the uh, actually, I won't get. We won't get into this because we'll, there's lots. We will talk, talk for hours well. yeah. about um, at the minute because I'm so excited by that team. Yep. Uh, Hugh McNeil scores a try. Really you, nice. You kind of yeah. covered it earlier. But... Lovely dummy. Like yeah. all the Irish players are kind of crabbing across and just doing nonsense. Yeah. And they're expecting like, oh, the Irish act's been so shit up until now. They're definitely going to crabble across. And yeah. Touch. Yeah. And he just throws a dummy and goes straight it's through. And that, that, oh, okay. That point where McNeil hits the line quite late and hits a really good, good angle actually. Mm. But Ringland didn't realise that was happening. Yeah. And so he then realises last second, oh, I need to run a support line. And to his credit, he does. And because he only realised at the last second, the Australians will go, oh shit, let's mark this guy. And then, yeah, McNeil throws the dummy and scores the try. And yeah, it's very nice by McNeil. Yeah. We then also have a moment, just as the game is wrapping up, not before, long before it ends, where the commentator says, for anyone who's looking back on this game, right, or for when people come to look back on this game, which is exactly what we're doing, Yes, right? okay, okay. We'll humour this then. Yes. You'll see that Australia won the game in, in an eight-minute period, right? Between the 17th and 28th minute, which is an 11 minute period. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll let it slide. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know what? They're spot on. They're spot on. That is the period in which Australia score four, three, three of their four tries. Yeah. And they kick two penalties. Yeah. And you know what? They really, oh, they kick one of the two penalties. I, they really yeah. run away with it in that period. And that's it. They are correct. That is the period in which they won the game. I would also add that they won the game, the rest of the game as well. Yeah. You know, because Ireland weren't good and Australia were. I think but... the interesting thing though, is Australia do really let their foot off the pedal. Yeah, they do. Massively. Like, they There's... look like they're comfortable in the fact that they are 30 points up, yeah, which they are, yeah. you know? And a couple of players start pissing about, and that's fine. You know? Yeah, yeah. At one point, Campo tries to catch a ball behind his back, which I enjoy. And to be fair, like, the score is 33-3 with yeah. 10 minutes to go. Yeah, yeah. You know like, you've won the game at that point. Yeah. Especially they are not bothered team. about stretching that out further. And it's knockout rugby, as I say. Like, yeah, they know yeah. all that matters is they win. And, like, looking at my notes from the last 15 minutes, I have... Bradley, make an effort, man. Ireland are so shit. Network news, because they, yeah. of course, tease the network news, as always. They always do it on prime attacking opportunities as well, which I yeah. really, really like. I also have written down, there's only one Burke playing on this wing, because nice. it's Trevor Ringland. He's a Burke. Yeah. And then right at the last play, Michael Keenan scores a very underwhelming try. He does. And makes... Two nice dummies. Yeah. Straightens the line well. Those two, like... McNeil's try is well taken, and I'll give him credit for that. Yeah, right? yeah. Keenan's try is... Yeah, yeah. It's uh, one sorry, of those Andrew he... Slack just took over for a second, sorry. <laughs> Not Andrew Slack, sorry. Steve Cutler. Farty Steve, yeah. Farty Steve, Steve Cutler. It's one of those where, like, 
Keenan kind of doesn't realise he's over the try line. Yeah. He's just trying to just run in a straight line. And then he's like, oh, right, hang on a second. I've scored. To stop it. Yeah. Um, it's like Forrest Gump. Um, yes. Yeah. And tell you what, them scoring two tries at the end really, really flatters them on the scoreboard. Massively. they are... The 30 point, 33 points to three would be a fair reflection of the scoreline. Yeah. You know, if Australia scored 11 times as many points. Yes. You'd be like, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the, you're right. The final score there is 33-15 to Australia. But we go into the, the post-match, they interview. It was, it's weird. Well, I mean, because... the referee also blows up a minute early, which is fun. Oh, nice. They go like, oh, the referee, the whistle should be over in one minute. We'll have the restart. And both teams out with the restart. And the referee goes, nah, I don't know. That's two out of four quarterfinals. The referee's blown up early. Yeah. I so, that. oh, you know, we're bored, aren't we? Yeah. Then, yeah, so the... It, the, the the video is down as being mm. one hour 50 minutes yeah. but it finishes sort of 10 minutes early the game does because they then show the highlights again afterwards like as soon as the game is finished they show the highlights so they have the presenter who comes on and says that was surely one of the worst spectacles we've seen in this tournament yeah this guy just hates rugby it's the same presenter that says the thing about highlights if we can find yeah, them yeah. not worth holding up the network news yeah yeah but I mean the thing is we having looked back at this podcast have said Oh yeah, that game was shit. About seventy percent of the games, yeah. you know, and it's just like it's good to know it held up back then. I don't think this was terrible. No, I, th- like, I, I, enjoyed, I, I enjoyed this game. Enjoyed this game. It was say. long. I, this game was, yeah. but I, I liked it, and I enjoyed it. I think because we've got Australia. one team comprehensively playing well. Yeah, right? yeah, and that is, I get more enjoyment out of watching two teams play well in a game. Like if two teams play incredibly well in a game where there's about like six or nine points scored, yeah. I will enjoy that more Agreed. than watching two poor teams run in 20 tries. Agreed, yeah. And I will enjoy that as well. I enjoy that more than just watching two poor teams yes. score nine, six points, right? But I, my favourite game, like we talked in very glowing terms about the 2011 World Cup Final, mm-hmm. which is an incredibly low-scoring game, yeah. but it's one of my favourite games of all time. Agreed. Because it is two teams playing at the absolute peak of their ability yes. pretty much. yeah. And I love it. But yeah, this is one team playing incredibly well and we haven't seen that much of this in no. the tournament. Yeah, yeah. And you're right, this is a big step. I will concede, of course, this did happen the day before the Wales-England game we yes. covered yesterday, uh, last week. So they hadn't yet realised how low this quarterfinal period can get. But yeah, th- this game, I thought this game was all right. I I, yeah. I enjoyed parts of it, at least. I think Australia played very well, so... Yeah, yeah, I think they, the host just hates rugby. Yeah, I think and so. fair play to him. Yeah, you know they then throw over to an interview with Donald Lenehan and Andrew Slack, the two captains. And Andrew Slack basically says that they weren't trying in the pool stages. Yeah, and basically says like, yeah, we had a few games against teams who were never going to pose any threat to us. And yeah, we just kind of like pissed through them basically. And here we are, we're in the semi-finals. And Donald Lenhead seems like a really good lad as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially say Ireland was so shy. Like, he was in really, you know, good voice at the end of that. With, you... like, lads, just Irish lads surrounding with Irish kit and just with cans just on show. Which is pretty cool. Well, <laughs> he basically says something like, oh, you know, we were terrible for the first 20 minutes because we travelled. Like, they ask him, they point out the fact that Ireland travelled more than any other team in this tournament. Mm. Their games were the furthest apart. They had to travel more than anyone else, which finally asks, is that the reason? He says, oh, maybe the first 20 minutes, but, you know. Like, it's an 80-minute game, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and he then says something about, like, oh, you know, there's lots of positives to take from this, all of that nonsense yeah, that I normally like comes out. Yeah. There's a little bit of, like, this is the World Cup, though. Yeah, This is yeah. the big and one. Are there positives? And, like, as I say, like, looking at some of the mistakes that were made in this game, you look at these players and go, like, you are partially responsible for the fact we're still and taking the piss out of Ireland he, 35 years later. He does say, 
in this that interview that they are good for more of the game than they were bad but they were just incredibly bad for that period and i don't think that's true no i think they're good for five i get what he's trying to say i understand it i understand it and they do yeah i agree with you i don't know if they do improve i think australia just kind of take the foot off the throat no definitely but i suppose they don't concede 30 points so maybe there's an improvement there but whatever should we move on to Man of the Match and Dick of the Day? Yeah, go on then. So you've already said your Man of the Match My Man of the Match is Michael Liner. Michael there is Liner. no competition there. He is far and away. I don't even have any yeah. of contenders really. I never thought it could be anyone else. So, Michael Liner. as I say, he's not in contention, but I think Keith Crossan was brilliant for Ireland and he's the one player okay. for Ireland that yeah, I yeah, stick yeah. up for. Yeah. He's not in the contention though because he was nowhere near touching Liner, Campo or Matt Burke, who are the three players yeah. I have written down as playing brilliantly. I've not really picked one of them out. I think... I'm going to have to go with Liner. I think I have yeah. to agree with you. I think he is the one who's responsible for them playing with genuinely some kind of like tactical insight and with genuine fluency in a way that not many teams that don't have Grand Fox playing 10 for them yeah. have done so far in this World Cup. So, yeah, I think I've got, you know, it'd be wrong to give it to somebody other than Liner because I think he's the centrepiece of why Australia played well. Yeah. Uh, Dick of the day, uh, I have three contenders, Yeah. right? One of which is Australia for conceding two tries at the end to Ireland, this Irish team. Yeah. Which, frankly, is unforgivable. Agreed. Or certainly very close to unforgivable. Uh, one is Michael Bradley, you say, for just being dog shit. For particular, I suppose, the McIntyre try, where he just drops the ball and shits himself. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Generally, but that is like the one moment you can point to if you want a clip for this. Yeah. Like his Oscar I mean, clip. him running into touch is pretty bad. But the other thing is, right, and I had this thought during the first half. You know um, Mike Myers, the... The, the voice yes. of Shrek and I know Austin Mike Powers and so yeah, on. Yeah. Not the guy from Halloween. Right, so the, the, the infamous story about him, right, is he is, like, infamously an unbelievable dickhead to work with. Okay. And no one likes him. No one likes getting on with him. He's horrible to all the crews. Mm-hmm. He's just, like, an awful, awful dude, right? Okay. And there was this thing that basically, you know, because he did Wayne's World, he did Austin Powers, which were both huge hits, were both, like, he wrote and he was the main character and it was, like, all came from him very much. Mm-hmm. Then when he made The Love Guru, which was a massive bomb and everyone hated and did not do well at all, he was basically dropped entirely by Hollywood and he didn't work again for like 15 years and he still hasn't really got much of a career. He pops up and stuff every now and again, but like he was basically dropped entirely. Because the moment he went, he's done one, like we all hate him, he's a dickhead, but he's good at what he does. So the moment he made one mistake, they dropped him entirely because everyone hated him. Right? Okay. David Campese is a massive bellend, but he's been brilliant in this tournament. Yeah. And so, the moment he dropped those two high balls, I went, finally, I can give him dick of the day for just being Campo. You can see he's written down there in my yep. notes. I wrote that down as soon as he dropped those balls, and I was thinking, like, you're world class, mate. Yeah. And you're a knob. Yeah. So, I, I, could, I could be agreeing with you. I've written down... Trevor England and Michael Bradley for both running into touch so often. Neil Francis for being Neil Francis. Yeah. So it's a bit of an ethical debate. Which dickhead I give it to? It's <laughs> going to be either Francis or it could be Bradley. It feels it feels like harsh to give it to Michael Bradley though. Yeah. Like I kind of feel some sympathy. He's made a career him. out of knowing about rugby. Though, yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm gonna, good on him. Good on him for that. I'm going to let him off. I'm going to let him off because I've been very harsh on him in this podcast. So I'm not going to give him dick of the day. It's between. A racist and oh, God, a, really fast, uh, a really fast bell end. I'm going to give it to Neil Francis for the sake of balance. Yeah. So that means every time I've seen him play, I've given him dick of the day. Yeah, that's fair. I, I forgot Neil Francis was playing. Okay, yeah. he is cunt of the day regardless. Yeah, he does go off injured in this game. Yeah, so, that's fun. You know, that's, that's, that's a laugh. Man of the match is also whoever injured him. Um, yes. I hope it was like Marcus Smith before he was born. Yeah, I um, think so. 
or any of the other people he's been a prick to. Yep. So, so everybody, thank you for joining us. I think we finally managed to keep an episode under an hour and a half, which is the first time in a very long time. Yeah, we've done well there. So that is a heroic effort by us to not talk for too long. Yep. Thank you, Will, as ever. Thank, thank you, you for listening. And please join us next week when we move on to the semi-final. <laughs> Wales will play New Zealand and Australia will play France. Yes. One of those games is an all-time banger and the other one involves this Welsh team. Indeed. We will see you there, potentially with guests or guests. Thank you for listening. And from me, the... goodbye. Good night. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.